Dr. Nisa Shamo here, and this is our new Health is Love podcast called Wellness Wednesday. So I am your host, Dr. Nisa Shamo. I'm a family medicine physician in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I have Dr. Manny. You want to introduce yourself to everyone? Hi, yes. I'm Dr. Manny St. Victor. I like to uh, consider myself a psychiatrist turned uh, entrepreneur slash hypnotist. Uh, I do a lot of uh, coaching around mindset, uh, but I use a lot of the NLP and language tools just as opposed to having a medical bent, as opposed to having a pharmaceutical bent. Exactly. Yes. So today I wanted to talk about, so, you know, on that, like, that's exactly why I brought you here because, you know, a lot of people know us as doctors. They always say that we're trying to push medicine on people mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, and that's not true. Like as a family medicine physician, I know all types of ways to help manage different problems, um, such as meditation, all that sort of thing. Um, Sometimes people just don't have access to those sorts of things, um, or they're just not open to it because they've just never been exposed to it, or they tried it and maybe it didn't work. Um, You know, for me, it's just an interesting thing because people assume a lot. They're everybody always is like, oh, you know, traditional Western medicine doctors don't know anything about anything. And I'm like, I'm a family doctor, like family doctors. I took integrative medicine elective when I was in medical school. I took an integrative medicine elective when I was in residency. A lot of my, like one of my, one of my faculty, one of the faculty in our department right now does acupuncture. I think two of our faculty actually do acupuncture. Um, So I've been exposed to a lot of integrative medicine things. Um, We actually have, um, we actually have a integrative medicine center in our, this part of our department as well. So people just assume a lot. They don't yeah. ever, they don't ask a lot of questions. So um, it's a very interesting thing because, you know, like it's like a difference in expectations. A lot of times we, a lot of times we don't really know what the patients are expecting of us. Yeah. And we don't know that that's what they're interested in. And they make a lot of assumptions and, you know, and vice versa. Sometimes, you know, we could offer somebody, um, you know, but I, I generally will offer people different things, like different options and that sort of thing. So. So, I think they have a hard time uh, knowing what's available and even uh, the amount of details they get for stuff because, you know, right. you a lot of marketing for uh, medications, you won't so much get marketing for meditation. You exactly. Know? No. Exactly. And that's what's hard. And that's honestly one of the things I wrote in my, my first book, Help Is Love, was that one of the things that was interesting about when we moved, when we moved into this house, we've been in this house for about six years. Um, we have about an acre and a half of land, which is amazing. But because we have an acre and a half of land, we are we have our own garden. And so in Ohio, like tomatoes and cucumbers are very like prosperous. Apparently, Ohio is the number one producer of tomatoes in the whole country, uh, which is like more than California, like which surprised me, you know, uh, because they probably just need a lot of water. And I don't know if they can get as much water in, you know, California. So um, but we grew like so many tomatoes and so many cucumbers. And I had to figure out like, you know what to do with them. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like we have all these cucumbers. That sounds like a business model. Yeah, right. Yeah, but so I just started eating cucumbers, and I'm just like, you can just eat a cucumber, and it's very filling. And I just eat them for lunch. Yeah. And I was like, but there is no, there are no commercials for cucumbers. You know, <laughs> you will not see a cucumber commercial. <laughs> so it's just an interesting thing, but that you know, people because of that, you know, commercial. And capitalism piece of it, yeah, there, there is a difference in expectations and and marketing because now everybody's you know coming in at asking for those new weight loss drugs. So that's been the biggest thing right now. So all right, so let's introduce the topic and transition there. So I wanted to talk with you about um, tips for better sleep okay. because I am a person who, um, especially in medicine, we I feel like we ourselves do not always value the importance of sleep um, because the way our medical training is and our profession nope. is, we are often sleep deprived and it's kind of just accepted. And so for probably all of residency in the first few years of my career, um, I didn't sleep for like, for like basically like seven years. And I realized after the fact it was probably because that 
that it was because I actually got an IV place right before I started residency. And so it was helpful because it helped me survive residency, I'm sure, and like be able to stay awake and that sort of thing. But at some point, um, I needed to sleep and just had a lot of insomnia. And so over the years, I've learned a lot of different ways to manage that insomnia. Like I cope very well with it. Like I would just get up at like four in the morning and go to the gym and work out. And that actually helped me like sleep at night and that sort of thing. So, um, so tell me about your experience with insomnia. Uh, well, that's like my life story. Like you said, uh, throughout um, medical training in med school, well, even in undergrad, in undergrad, I had a good bit of depression. And as a mm-hmm. result, most of my nights, I would stay up uh, worrying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was worried yeah. I would stay up at night thinking about death and thinking about failure mm-hmm. just for a long time. Uh, by medical school, uh, I was I would work myself to exhaustion, mm-hmm. collapse, and then basically wake up as soon as I can, you know, as soon as I could. And get right back to studying or whatever. I just, you know, I, I I got to the point where you know I would play audios in the shower so so I could study. So yeah. it, the uh, sleeping was almost perceived in my group almost like as a weakness. You know, mm-hmm. we just, we have a big bottle of Mountain Dew. We just go 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 nap there. Um, by the time I got to residency, you know, the cost schedule, <laughs> the cost schedule doesn't care about your sleep cycle. And overall, I just um, I took a lot of breaks during my training. So by the time I was in um, residency, I was I think in my mid to late thirties, and I had spent um, my whole life just with these bad sleep habits. Mm-hmm. It was just um, so I couldn't conceive of healthy sleep hygiene. Um, it wasn't until I'd say about a couple years ago, I just um, decided to go all the way super healthy. I I had been doing meditation before and been doing hypnosis, but I decided to go ahead and apply the stuff that I was helping my clients with mm-hmm. to myself and started. Um, opening myself up to dreaming to the point mm-hmm. where uh, instead of spending the whole night worrying about getting to sleep, I, I spend a lot more time dreaming. And even if it happens to be a nightmare, I'm okay with that because <laughs> I know it's an emotional process. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, there's a lot of things too. Like I have a lot, I think that I always say that there's a type, like as, as doctors, you have a type that we are, you know, and one of the biggest things that we are, naturally worriers right because in order for you to be concerned about other people's health you have to be just a worrier so I've been that way my whole life just worried about this and just a fair amount of anxiety and I feel like that's kind of what keeps us out of trouble and in the books and you know out of jail and that sort of thing especially where I'm from you know um so it's just like I probably was more worried about things than than most other young people and so that happened to me when I went to medical school as well like I'm sure I had what's called adjustment disorder for people who are not doctors there's such thing called adjustment disorder where you have some kind of life change and so when I started medical school I actually got a degree in Spanish so for a year my last year of school I actually could have finished college early um but my last year I didn't take any science classes because I barely took any classes <laughs> like I basically just drew out my last year because I was applying to medical school um and so when I started medical school I had this big insecurity that I hadn't hadn't taken any medical medical like any science classes in the past year so for like six months I was afraid of failing out of school and I couldn't sleep and I, like and then we learned about adjustment disorder at some point in the second year I was like I'm pretty sure I have adjustment disorder that resonates <laughs> But yeah, for me, like I said, it was like getting off that birth control. I was able to sleep finally. And I was like, and then it's like stuff like that. And for me as a family doctor, I'm like, why don't we screen more people for, you know, um, sleep disturbances when we start them on birth control? Because we know a lot about like, you know, we talk about mood changes. We talk about, um, you know, uh, diet changes and weight and all that sort of thing. But I don't feel like we don't put enough emphasis on, on sleep. Yeah. And I know that when I was going through my, when I was going through my whole insomnia, you know, situation, I was going to the doctor regularly, like every year. And my doctor never asked me about my sleep. And so now I make a big point to try to ask my patients about sleep. I'm to make sure that it is part, especially during my physicals, um, which, you know, as a geriatrician, that's one of our like review systems as well, a geriatric review system, talk about sleep, pain, all that kind of stuff, uh, bowel movements a lot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, my physicals, I ask all that same similar things. I ask about fall. So, um, you know, that's why it's important for people to get their wellness e- exams, because if you are just coming in for chronic care or just for sick care, we don't always have time to talk about, you know, all that other stuff. 
Um, but even as doctors, like I said, it's just an interesting thing because our our culture doesn't always, you know, prioritize uh, sleep. Yeah. yeah, the motto at one point I remember was you can sleep when you die. <laughs> and we joked about it, but ultimately right. jokes have a little bit of truth to them. Right. Well, the problem is too, like, so for me as a family doctor, I can tell when people are not sleeping well either. Like I, I do ask that some of their chronic care um, appointments because people's blood pressure will be higher. People's yeah. blood pressure will be higher when they're not sleeping. Their sugars are higher when they're not sleeping. It releases a lot of cortisol and stress hormones. Um, so I generally, now that I've, you know, more experienced than being a physician, um, I do ask about it in their chronic care um, appointments because I can tell when their, you know, when their blood pressure is higher than usual. Um, I can say, did you sleep last night? <laughs> you know, and, and especially some of my retirees, they'll be like, oh, no, because I was busy doing this or doing that. And I didn't think I really needed to sleep. And it's like, no, actually, it increases your blood pressure. You know, the, the CDC says that, you know, it's a it's a really it's a so this month is heart month. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to actually talk about it this month, but not sleeping can raise your blood pressure and it can lead to premature death. So it's like, people will be like, oh, you can sleep when you're dead, but you're like, you make it happen faster, yeah, right? <laughs> you will be dead if you don't sleep enough. So. so let's move into just some of the things that, uh, I'll talk some of the things about um, why, my patients may complain about not sleeping and you can tell me a few things about your patients. So for me, there's really like four categories um, that I noticed that people um, fall into when they are having trouble sleeping. So number one is, you know, some kind of life change, like that adjustment insomnia got just described. So it might be a death in the family. It might be a new baby, which nobody's going to sleep with a new baby anyway. Um, or it might be a new job or just feeling stressed out about your job. Um, just a lot of different um, life life changes. So that's you know one of the things. Um, number two is hormonal changes. So like I said, for me being on birth control, but I see a lot of people around perimenopause. So perimenopausal um, hormone changes. Teenagers, teenagers are having a lot of hormone changes. Um, you know, uh, pregnancy of course, pregnancy and postpartum can cause a lot of issues with um, hormone changes and not being able to sleep well. And then um, there are a couple more reasons. A lot of them are medi like medical reasons, like anxiety, depression, which yep. you know, um, which I consider a medical condition. I know a lot Absolutely. of times people, I don't, I don't separate like anxiety and depression are medical issues. Yeah. And um, sleep apnea is a big thing. Chronic pain is a big thing. People, a lot of my um, patients with arthritis may not sleep well because they're in pain. Um, and there's another, there's another big category that I'm that I'm missing. So I'll think of it. And while, while you tell me some of the reasons why your patients may not be sleeping. Okay, uh, you already mentioned anxiety. That's a big one. Uh, rumination, uh, something that keeps people up. And actually a lot of times people have trouble sleeping because they're trying to force themselves into sleep. And sleep is not <laughs> something you can force yourself into. Sleep is something uh, they call passive volition. You have to allow <laughs> yourself to sleep. Another big factor is relationships. <laughs> you know, a lot of times people... Um, are in a relationship where they're not comfortable with each other, yet they're sleeping next to each other. That changes the dynamic. Sometimes people in relationships where they don't feel safe. Hmm. A lot of cases, people have uh, scary and dark stuff going on at night, you know, in family dynamics. Unfortunately, that comes into play. You get medical medicine side effects. Hmm. A lot of the psychotropic meds, uh, even in addition to someone having sort of an irregular set of cycles, the medicine is helping their mood, but the medicine is dysregulating their sleep cycle. Um, right. What are some other things? A lot of people, um, they have like third shift jobs, unfortunately. Yeah. And third shift jobs, uh, people think they adjust to that, but ultimately you're not getting enough sun. You're not getting enough human connection, you know, except for your co-vampire friends. You know, <laughs> you know ultimately um, there, there's a part of society, part of life that you're not, uh, a rhythm that you're not connected to and, and what goes with that. So those are some of the few financial worries. Yeah, <laughs> that goes the worries, but financial worries. Um, yeah, those are the main things I could think of right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and then the other thing that um, when you were just talking, it made me think about. Um, I was trying to multitask, but I failed. So <laughs> I was trying to. I just wrote an article about this, so check that out in the Cincinnati Herald. Oh. 
The third one was just poor sleep hygiene. Yes, I was just thinking that. Yeah. Yes. So poor sleep hygiene. So that's kind of one of the, some of the, you know, what I want to talk about today, like how I work on my sleep hygiene. Um, so yeah, the basically that's just things you actually control. Like some of the other stuff, such as, you know, just life worries and being stressed out. Can't, you don't really have control over that. You don't have control over your hormones changing um, for the most part. Like I said, unless, unless it's birth control and you notice something like that, then maybe you could uh, consider something different or even like get some medicine to help balance out the side effects of that as well. Because that's basically a side effect if you're on, like I, I had IUD for seven years. So if you're on IUD and you have insomnia on it, then you can you know, get another medicine to help you sleep like hydroxyzine or something like that. That's probably what I should have been doing for those seven years, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it's, for me as a geriatrician, often we'll say like, well, you know, discontinue the medicine instead of start another medicine. But for a young person like myself, who was just trying to make it through the world and not have a child before I was ready to, yeah, that part. It was, it was, <laughs> you know, it was a, it was kind of like, well, I, I would have taken another medicine to manage it. So um, and then, um, you know, there's just a lot of um, like, I don't know if I mentioned, did I mention sleep apnea? Sleep apnea. Is a really yeah, you did. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I can. And it's hard because a lot of times when people's blood pressures are really high and I'm trying to control their blood pressures, that's generally when I will find out that people are having sleep apnea issues. I'm like. Yes. your blood pressure is really high and I put you on like three medicines and it's still high. So maybe we should send you to get a sleep study. So yeah, especially the undiagnosed sleep apnea where all they know is they snore or if they live alone, they may not even know the kind of, you know, noise they're making and the kind of difficulty they're having with those apneic events. Right. And I guess the other piece that we didn't say when you were talking about partners is that sometimes people may not sleep because their partner snores. They're like worried. <laughs> like you've been talking to my wife. What? <laughs> <laughs> so it's just you know interesting thing as well and that's one of the things for my husband and I we've been together forever so we have a hard time when we're not in the same bed together we have a hard time sleeping like if I was in a conference last weekend and didn't sleep well and he didn't sleep well so it's an interesting thing that way too so all right so let's talk some about you know tips for better sleep so I will kind of give my um my top four tips, the things that help me. Um, so number one is trying to stay active and eat healthy during the day. A lot of people don't realize that exercise can help you sleep. Uh, trying to get a lot of energy out definitely makes you usually just sleep better at night because you're just tired, you know, <laughs> your body's tired. So exercise definitely. Um, and then just eating a healthy diet because sometimes if I eat like really help, you know, heavy meals or too much dairy, that sort of thing, I can notice that my sleep is not as good. Yeah. Um, and then, so that's number one. Number two is working to quiet my mind. Like you were saying, ruminating, that sort of thing. I tend to do that often. Uh, I feel like doctors are probably really bad at that. You're like, oh, did I, did I order that lab for that patient? Did I do this? Did I do that? And did I refill those medications? You know, like there's just so many things on your to-do list that sometimes, and I'm sure a lot of, like, I don't have children, but I'm sure that's probably a, a thing where a lot of parents do with so many tasks or like any kind of job or responsibility that you have where there's just a lot of tasks that sometimes could be hard to not ruminate. Yeah. Um, so to quiet my mind, I actually have these um, nice Bose headphones um, mm -hmm. and they're called Bose Quiet Comfort and they're very soft. So I can put them on and I can, I can sleep, like I can fall asleep in them. Um, and I could, I could stay asleep with them for like for all night because they're very comfortable. So, um, so I usually will put on either some soft music, like some Sade or something like that, or Erykah Badu, some kind of like, you know, neo-soul music or old soul music that, you know, is nice to just fall asleep. And I make sure that uh, the play, I have a bunch of playlists, I actually have a bunch of playlists on Apple Music. I was doing yoga when the pandemic started. So I made all these um, yoga playlists. And so I listen to them and try to fall asleep. And they're nice because they usually are about 30 minutes um, and then they go off. And, um, and then, you know, then I'll just have the headphones on and not listen to anything. Um, so I'll do that or I will listen to books like uh, Audible. I'll listen to Audible books um, and put a timer on there because that's the problem with Audible is that it could potentially, <laughs> you could spend like nine hours listening to a book and you don't even know where you left off. Yeah. So I'll set a timer for about 20 minutes. That usually is about how long it takes me to fall asleep. And then, um, so 
you know, those are some things I do to quiet the mind. And then number four thing I do is try to stay cool. So I usually sleep better um, with a fan on me. I've been this way my whole life since I was a, a teenager. Maybe that's like, maybe my hormones started, you know, changing around teenage years. <laughs> I started sleeping with a fan at a young age. Um, so it's nice because it has a good amount of white noise for people who um, may need white noise to sleep at night. Um, so my husband, he likes it for that reason. He likes the white noise, um, but, also, but also it helps to cool down, especially when you are of a certain age, um, getting to be, be close to 40 and, and those 35. Yeah. yeah, like 35 to like 50, a lot of women start having a lot of hormonal changes and um, just really hot at night. So it's nice to have like three fans, you know? <laughs> All the fans. And the last thing that I do, is uh, I try to avoid drinking too much alcohol. So it's yeah. kind of interesting. A lot of times people will be like, oh, well, I drink alcohol to try to fall asleep. Um, or, yeah, exactly. So I drink tea that. instead. Yeah. I drink yeah. caffeine-free tea at night. Because um, it is nice to like come home and like relax and have a nice like little wind down moment. Yeah. Uh, but instead of doing that with like wine, and honestly, with one glass of wine, I'm okay. It's yeah. more like two two, three glasses of wine, which you probably really should have been doing anyway. Like as doctors, we know that yeah. the recommendation is to have like one or two, but if I have two glasses of wine, I'm not going to be able to sleep well. Um, so I try to just even avoid being around it at all. So I'll just drink uh, tea. I have a bunch of different teas. I grew up, I, grew, I was raised by like somewhat like hippie type parents, so if you never could notice. Um, <laughs> my parents came of age in the 70s. So I grew up on a food co-ops and that sort of thing in the 80s and the 90s when a lot of people were not into that kind of thing yet. Um, but my parents converted to Islam. And so it was just kind of this whole world of like trying to take care of your better, your life, your uh, body better. And, you know, you pray five times a day and uh, which is a form of meditation, you know. So it's just a um, that religion spends a lot of focus on just trying to care for your body. So grew up going to food co-ops and that sort of thing and drinking celestial seasoning. Uh, tea my whole life yeah. so I have I don't I try to avoid the peppermint tea everybody like loves their peppermint tea which I love it too but I can't drink it at night because it'll make you too awake so I usually do either the they have this honey vanilla chamomile one that's really good um they have this bangal spice one that's kind of like a caffeine free um chai tea yeah oh so that one's nice um I sometimes I like sour like I like sour beers so I sometimes like sour ones like hibiscus they have this one called red zinger and I think they have a blue zinger um, so I do, uh, you know, I've made those tips and those, all of those four things really help me sleep well, most yeah. nights. And then when I do get like around my cycle, even though like, so I had a hysterectomy about a year ago, so I don't actually have a uterus. I don't even know where my cycles are, which is weird. <laughs> but even before I had a hysterectomy, I, my, that's a whole situation, but my, my whole situation with my peers and everything has been messed up forever. But um, but I've started trying to track it because I've noticed that around that, like like two weeks before I would have a period, like premenstrual time, I um get a little bit of like like my husband is like, you know, family medicine psychiatry. So and I know a bunch of psychiatrists because I we have a bunch in our department. So I feel like I'll call it being a little hypomanic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I can't sleep and then I start doing things, you know, like get up and do all, you know. So I actually noticed since I started going back to acupuncture that acupuncture can help with that. So this month when I know, like as soon as it happened, I text my acupuncture Chinese medicine doctor like, hey, can I get a, can I get a session? <laughs> so yeah. so I, I think I went like two days with like poor sleep and then I got in with him and I'm not, I've been sleeping well all weekend, so. Yeah, I love acupuncture. <laughs> yeah, it's it. amazing. It's really amazing. Yeah. So tell me what you do. What what kind of things have you learned? Uh, the routine is important. Uh, so uh, it took me a while. Like I said, it, I didn't have much of a regular routine through most of the training. Um, my wife is an early sleeper. So I got into the uh, cycle of, you know, mm -hmm. eight o'clock, bring the kids up, do their bedtime routine, come in here, wind down, you know, um, I tend to, um, I have, I still have the the uh, device bad habit. So I tend to read on my iPad or on my phone at night, which I know isn't great. Um, one thing we've done though, uh, that's been amazing. And I didn't realize it was that much of an impact is we've made our room like pitch black. 
Mm. I always heard that light had a negative in, impact. And so initially we got um, blackout curtains for our window so mm. that there's no moonlight, no street lights, you know, no stars, nothing coming in that way. So mm. then we decided, hey, the front door, sometimes you know the kids like to sleep with lights on. There's a little bit of light coming around the edge of the front door. Mm. So we put a curtain, a blackout curtain on the front door to cover the edge of the lights. Mm. Darker the room got, the better we slept. So we started covering up the TV light. Uh, anything charging, all the phones, and we we made it pitch black in the room, and it it made such a difference. Yeah. When, when I wake up at night, um, I mean, I bump it through the walls, but I've gotten better. <laughs> um, you know, I, I most of I find my way to the bathroom. You know, lots of trips because I am fifty. You know, lots of trips to the bathroom, but um, I, I don't wake up. You know, I wake up the next morning and, and I'm refreshed. I don't get that wake sleep wake sleep. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of my favorite things. Uh, yeah. Also, um, what about what about? I didn't say this in mine because forever I've never had a TV in a bedroom. Have you? Do you have a TV in your bedroom? Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, we do. But um, we tend to uh, most nights we're too tired for TV. Yeah, we have it there, um, but mainly we, we sometimes one of us escapes because we got four kids. So one of us escapes to the uh, TV while the other one is coping with the kids. Yeah. Um, Yes. Yeah, so, and plus our TV, it had a, a bit of a, a red light <laughs> at the bottom that was on all the time. So kind of jammed the tube sock in front of that. <laughs> That's part of the furniture because that way, even that little red light was part of against our pitch black, you know? You know one thing that's important is um, in terms of when I was in my many depressions, one of the things I find during depression is uh, to override the rumination, I would listen to audio uh, it had to be audiobooks that weren't too um, weren't too uh, depressing, honestly. <laughs> I didn't need yeah, it. Or yeah. even though like too exciting where you have to follow the story too much. So sometimes I listen, to, if I listen to books, it's either like something that's, you know, not supercharged or I listen to something old, something yeah. I've already listened to before. So I don't really even care. I'm not interested in it as much. You know what I mean? Yeah, just some sort of, uh, I guess it's basically brown noise. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a story I don't want to follow. And, you know, I used to sleep great in med school lectures. So sometimes I go to YouTube and find a science lecture, put that on. And I, I used like, to do that. In, I used to do that in medical school. I used to put on our lectures and sleep. Yeah, that'll knock me out. That'll not, it's like even eight in the morning, lecture starts. They turn out the lights to show some x-rays and I'm out. <laughs> I'm waking up and the lights come back on. Like, did I miss something? So I do that. Um, what else? We tend to keep the room super cold. Uh, even in the winter, we barely use heat. We have the fan right. on, even in the winter. Keeps your bills and down have... too. It keeps your bills uh, low. Yeah. But yeah, we do the same thing. We keep our house at like 70 degrees year round. Yeah, yeah. And then you can snuggle with a super blanket. You know, we got the fuzzy blanket and that makes it great. Um, what else? I think the routine is the most important thing. With our routine at night, we wind down, you know, around nine something probably eight something is quiet time at the home so less noise tvs are off etc except unless my wife and i are peeking a little bit um and so usually around that time i can get some writing in i, I like to kind of sit or and kind of reflect you mm -hmm. know my grandpa used to do this and i always thought it was the weirdest thing where in the evening he would just sit there with his pipe you know and sit there yeah. and you know and and just sit there yeah <laughs> Uh, you know, sometimes in the dark, sometimes out in the balcony. And as I've gotten older, I found that just um, taking a little time to get an idea of what's going through your mind. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't even have to be formal meditation. It's right. just still time when you're not putting in new data. It's a good way to kind of churn through some of the stuff from the day that maybe uh, might be unresolved. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other end, my morning routine relieves a lot of stress mm -hmm. because I know in the morning I won't have to like wake up suddenly <laughs> so I can zombie through my first part you know I walk in there I get my meds I I have whatever some sweats laid out I throw on the sweats uh get the kids off to school come back might collapse to finish some sleep or you know um, my wife's usually doing yoga there's a machine that there's not much thinking <laughs> for the first couple hours it's, it's all autopilot you know alarms right. go off bus time feed kid time it's, it's the morning routine I think is fantastic because it believes some of the stress. In terms of data, one of the things they found is uh, the cortisol awakening response, how high your cortisol spikes is predictive. If you think you're going to have a crap day, your cortisol spikes higher. Mm -hmm. So by making the morning more mellow, more predictable, you can manage that cortisol awakening response and you know, make it less of a spike. Also, um, 
in terms of mood management, if you can uh, make your nights peaceful, if you can make your night routine peaceful and, and regular, what you can also do is in the morning, you're more able to, you wake up in a better mood. And the yeah. part of the morning routine is managing your mood. Like I said, at night, you do the wind down where you reflect. In the morning, you kind of get an idea of how you're feeling about your day, what things are stressing you in particular, where you feel underprepared. And instead of just tumbling through the day, you, you have your day, you break it up to the little pieces and you allocate energy to each of the pieces. And just knowing that that's done makes sleep better for me. Just at night, yeah. reviewing my schedule lightly. Yeah. Know. To me, all the, those are things that I found to be most helpful. Right. Yeah. No, but that's, I think that what you just said is really important though, because I feel like a lot of people just function so much chaos. Yeah. Um, and people don't really realize you have the power most people, obviously, like I said, when you have like a new baby, you know, you don't necessarily have complete control over when the baby's going to wake up and that sort of thing. And even like teenagers and all types of stuff, when you have children, it's very unpredictable. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where like you, you set the tone in your house, you know, I'm sure that your children sleep through the night because, you know, there you all have created a routine and a sense of, of peace yeah. because, you know, for me, the opposite of chaos is peace, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> but a lot of people's lives are very chaotic. Yeah. And, you know, for us, we've come from a place of privilege of, you know, being people who have paid our dues and now we can create that peace at home with having like, you know, one job and that sort of thing. But even as physicians, our life, our lives would be very chaotic, you know? So I think that, I think that sometimes people just because we have a financial privilege doesn't necessarily mean that we're any better about managing our schedules. Like nobody teaches us this kind of thing in school. Like obviously people have taught us the opposite. So a lot yeah. of this stuff. We have oh, yeah. 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 And so I think even for physicians, one of the biggest things that people have to figure out is uh, what kind of job allows for the most peace because um, currently um you know, there's just, I've, I've quit a lot of jobs. I've said that before. I've had a lot of jobs. I've quit a lot of jobs when I felt like it was too much chaos um, or when I felt like it was not peaceful, I've, I've quit jobs. And uh, we, I have the privilege of being able to find another job pretty easily. Yeah. Um, and I know, but for my parents, my parents own their own business. So sometimes people may start their own business or may change careers. So people have the power to, to figure that out. Like if your life is feeling too chaotic, you have the power to figure out what you need to do yeah. to bring that level of order and peace into your home. Yeah. Yeah. With me, when I went into business for myself, initially I still had my uh, medical life habits. You know, so I would grind, 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 wake up. As soon as I woke up, I would just get to work, you know, and there was no wake up time. It was just whenever, you know, whenever my body allowed me to wake up, I stay up super late. Sometimes I work till two, three in the morning, you know, and then in the morning I had to get up for the kids' school and then I would work. So it, it was, uh, there was no routine. Uh, right. When I, uh, part of the benefit of autonomy is discipline, I like to say, <laughs> you yeah. know, now that I run my schedule, it's important for me to have certain things in my schedule, like try to be consistent about a certain time to eat, you know, try to be consistent about taking lunch, taking a break, et cetera. Because like I said, the brain is a prediction engine. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the ways to relieve stress is by letting yourself know what's coming up so that you can allocate the right energy for that part of your day. Exactly. Yeah. But I think that people really, really underestimate the power of sleep, the power of routine, the power of the absence of chaos, because mm -hmm. especially for me, like what's interesting about, you know, being a family doctor and seeing people at different stages of their lives, it's just seeing how much people bring chaos into their lives. Like I have a lot of people who are, you know, just trying to be everything to everybody. And it's just like, you know, whatever that people pleasing uh, people pleasing, you know, pull that they have to or whatever. Yeah. But it's just like, yeah. at some point, when do you please yourself and have time for yourself yeah. and stop running around? Yeah. Your boundaries are absolutely important because uh, if you, if you're not effective with setting boundaries, you, you really don't have control of your day. Yeah. You really, you don't even have control of your night. Cause if uh, in our culture, if you allow your med students or your residents to call you at night, they will. <laughs> you know, if, if you don't set those boundaries, like do not call me when I'm not at the hospital, you know, uh, and particularly in psych, you know, we, we, we teach our patients their boundaries. Yeah. So if, if, you know, if you're like, uh, with a lot of my clients, I'm like, you can text me, but 
don't text me weird. You know, don't, don't right. flood me with texts. And it takes a while to adjust that. So mm-hmm. um, like you said, the people pleasing, it took me a while to go from wanting to see my people happy at my expense to realizing that ultimately people feel better when you give them boundaries. Because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I know I'm not calling this person when they're in a certain mood. Um, this person, you know, if I'm if I'm answering the phone, I want to be talking. If I'm right. texting back uh, during a certain time, it's time that I've allocated to doing those things. So yeah, the boundaries help a lot with sleep. Right. And just through the day too, because that's what I learned in Red Sea is I do not like chaos. So I don't, I have my phone on. I don't have any notifications on my phone to be like dinging all day. Um, and I keep my phone on, I keep my phone on silent throughout the day because that would drive me crazy if I heard ding, 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 ding all day. So I keep my phone on silent throughout the day. Um, And at night, I put my phone on do not disturb after 10 o'clock between, I think, 10 10 p.m. and 7 a.m. My phone is on do not disturb, Um, which I don't I'm not usually sleep until seven. Um, I I usually wake up around. I usually go to bed around 9, 30, 10. And I usually wake up around like five in the morning or six in the morning. So. Um, but yeah, so everybody's different, but I think that's one of the underestimated things that people can do is get rid of notifications. Uh, yeah. You know, turn your phone on silent and put your phone on do not disturb at a certain time. So yeah, yeah I think that's that's super important because especially back in the Facebook game days when Farmville and Cityville would wake you up all night to check on your berries and your and you know, at first we're like, oh, it's not that bad, but you know, I can sleep through it, whatever. But we were giving so much power to interrupt our routines to these devices. You know, right. I set my strawberries so, you know, in 30 minutes, they're going to ding me. And, you know, it's okay. Every 30 minutes, you're getting these strawberries and you get these overlapping things. And now you have this farm empire that's literally waking you up in the middle of the night to the point of compulsion, you know. Right. Uh, so the notifications, email, you know, it's, it's, it's helpful to not check your email right before you go to bed. That's important. Right. You know, if I, if, uh-uh. I, I don't check my emails. If you text me after a certain time, I won't see it till morning. Right. My, my, yeah. My say, if, if you're dead, uh, if you're, you know, if you're dead, there's nothing I could do for you. So I don't need to hear death news at night. You know, it's like, you're still going to be dead in the morning. Let me get some sleep. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Except for, except for when we're on call. So as a family doctor, I have to be on call. <laughs> at least for now. I hope that one day maybe this can change. I'm like, I was like, why can't they just have like doctors in Australia take our phone calls like they do for radiologists? <laughs> right. A lot of people don't know that. But radiologists, they have like a they have they they outsource reading uh films at night in the hospital. Like, you know, somebody comes and breaks their arm at three in the morning, yeah. they don't call and wake a radiologist up. Um, they just send it to Australia. That's so brilliant. <laughs> So I'm just like, why can't we do that with family medicine? Like Australia has tons of family doctors. Yeah. Do virtual can, visits. Yeah. Right. Like because most of the time people call us in the middle of the night, they're trying to figure out if they should go to the hospital or not. Yeah. So it's mostly just triage. Like, I mean, it could even be nurses. Like they could they could send that job to nurses in Australia, you know? Because <laughs> so, people are generally just like, do I need to go to the hospital or no? And generally if you're calling somebody wake them up in the middle of the night, the answer is yes. <laughs> just want you know and particularly like uh when i used to work er uh you know crisis like er a lot of times people would be in there flat out it was loneliness mm-hmm. you know it was yeah. just wanting to talk to someone right. so so really they um a lot of times they would show up and interrupt your sleep just to make eye contact with someone you could sense it you know they're lonely yeah. at home uh they're having some sort of episode as a result of being alone and lonely you know yeah. it's kind of sad no, loneliness is definitely a big thing, especially with some of my older patients. Um, they, and they've talked to you about in COVID, the isolation definitely killed a lot of people. Like people die of loneliness. A lot of people don't realize that, but our emotional health definitely has such an impact on on our, you know, the mind and, you know, family doctors, we, we know the mind and body are connected. Everybody yeah. knows the mind and body are connected, but we just are the doctors who do a lot of the, of the medicine that deals with both things, so. But yeah, I am. So let's talk about, let's talk about some of that, some of the medicine. Um, So as far as sleep, how often do you prescribe medicine and what kind of medicines are you usually thinking about? Um, And then we'll talk after you talk about that, we'll talk some about like other treatments outside of the. I've gone like, I I don't prescribe anymore. 
I don't prescribe meds. Like my, my clients come to me, mainly I've chosen people who don't need meds or if they need meds, I, I send them to one of my colleagues. Okay. I, I literally stopped prescribing. And is it because you, because we haven't talked yet about your hypnosis. Is it because yeah. a lot of times you work with your patients with hypnosis and they may mm-hmm. not need them anymore? So tell me more about that. Yeah, I'm, I've moved to a model where um, I, I got really, really into Ericksonian hypnosis because um, so many things could be controlled linguistically. You know, our, our our whole body is, you know, it's kind of weird to explain, but our whole psychoneuroendocrine system works on metaphor. You know, it's, it's sort of, um, the you know, thought and movement. It's all like um, charges. You know, if you think of it as, you know, a lot of people say energy and it sounds too woo, but ultimately the same uh, signal that could control thought controls an action, a physical action, or controls um sending off a hormone if it's in different parts of the body. So what they found ultimately with hypnosis is there are ways to provide someone with, they call them isomorphic metaphors. There's a way to provide someone with a metaphor or a way of thinking that once it's it's in their subconscious, it actually helps them access parts like regulating your blood pressure, regulating your blood flow, regulating your sleep cycle. So uh, the main thing that I found with my clients for sleep, I I use hypno. I I have a lot of results with hypno. and it works because in some cases, what's keeping them from sleep is nightmares. A lot of times what's keeping them from sleep is a lack of a routine. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the approaches we use in hypno is sleep scripting, where you play the tape and the tape will walk you through. Uh, mm-hmm. Go into the room, lie down, feel the coolness of your pillow, uh, notice the coolness of your fan. And having someone tell you that, uh, it's almost like I used to say during my depression, I used to play a lot of books. Having like maybe a 45 minute tape walk you through sleeping, it, it keeps your brain busy enough so that you, you you're not ruminating. You're 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 right. sleeping correctly for, right. for a lot of us perfectionists. Yeah. And uh another thing I found with my clients is um by managing nightmares, uh, a lot of people who used to have nightmares suppress their dreams and suppress their sleep as well. So by allowing people to have a way of either becoming better at coping with their nightmares. Uh, or uh, some people who don't dream, allowing them to actually dream and tolerate the dreaming, uh, mm-hmm. that helps sleep. You yeah. know, you can lead yourself to sleep with curiosity. I wonder what I'm going to dream, you know? <laughs> right, so, yeah. all, all these are things that uh, they're subtle, but I found that um, by becoming more masterful in the realm of Ericksonian hypnosis, um, I get, you know, I get better results. And people know that they come to me for that. So when they come to me for like meds, usually I'll refer them to a colleague who's more adept at that. Right. So I guess maybe we should back up a moment though, because when you say nightmares, I guess we haven't talked that much about PTSD. So yeah. that can be a real big reason why people um, maybe not sleeping well and maybe having nightmares because they're kind of reliving traumatic yeah. events. Yeah. yeah. So hypnosis can kind of help people break out of those cycles. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the power of hypnosis is it allows you to shift the subconscious associations in your mind. So one of the things that it most particularly effective for is trauma memories, as well as phobias, you know, because mm-hmm. ultimately what you have, it, your brain runs on triggers, you know, basically cues, outside cues. And a lot of people have unresolved emotions. And what happens with unresolved emotions is they come out of, uh, they show up as if they were present. Uh, resolved emotions show up as a memory. You know, you're like, if you're sitting here with me, you might notice that I remind you of someone that's irritating, (laughs) you know, but you're able to differentiate me from that person and just give me my, you know, my, my own spoonfuls of irritation. Uh, The thing with trauma is uh, one of the best examples is in trauma, there's rage instead of anger. So when someone makes you angry and triggers uh, your anger, all the old anger, helplessness, basically all the times that you were angry before that you weren't able to do something about it, that you didn't get closure about, all the times you feel helpless, hopeless, uh, overwhelmed, they all come, they all show up with that anger. That That's the nature of, of PTSD and trauma is that uh, certain things never become memories, like they mm-hmm. never disappear, they always show up in the present. So with hypnosis, we're able to help people with their cues so that when the cues are activated, uh, a person could still stay present. We call it the window of tolerance. Window mm-hmm. of tolerance is uh, how far, uh, how aroused you get 
over different cues, your threshold, and how you're able to bring yourself back, you know, just coping mechanisms. And with PTSD, a lot of times you can apply CBT, EMDR, eye movement desensitization, reuptake, uh, uh, reprocessing, which ultimately is about providing someone with the ability and training to create these resourceful states, like so that even as they're afraid, they have an ability to go back to a safe place. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of people with PTSD, you'll find that they spend most of their time in fight flight in survival mode. So their cortisol right. spiking, uh, testosterone, adrenaline. Uh, and so helping with getting the memories right allows them to regulate and less nightmares because um, sleep is about processing emotions. So less nightmares, less flashbacks, less of uncertainty in the likelihood of being triggered. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, less startle awakenings, lower startle response, lower hypervigilance, all these things come into play in uh, your circadian rhythm and your overall quality of life. But definitely, yeah. For sure. Because, you know, so first of all, that's really amazing that you were able to do that work with hypnosis. Um, so I know last time you were on, you offered our our listeners um, a trial of hypnosis. And absolutely, so, you know, so, drop, so drop the info real quick about that. Absolutely. Um, you can reach out to me. I use a Gmail, uh, mani.saintvictor at gmail.com. Um, and we'll use help is love hypnosis. <laughs> so if you put that in your subject line, help is love hypnosis, I'll know that um, you, you caught us on this episode and that's why you're there. And we'll give you a gift session. And it's amazing what one session can do. So mm -hmm. definitely I'll offer that. Absolutely. So it's um, Manny St. Victor, M-A-N-I dot S-A-I-N-T V-I-C-T-O-R at gmail.com. Just reach out, let me know where you heard about it, and I got something for you. <laughs> All right, awesome. And of course, when I post this on my socials, I'll tag you in the post and your name will be spelled on the graphic as well. So so awesome. if you have a hard time listening to people spell their name, then don't worry. We'll we'll we got you. Yep. Um, so that's awesome because I have a so for me. Fortunately, in my life, I've experienced some trauma, but I don't have a lot of, I didn't, I don't have a lot of traumas to the level of PTSD. Um, so for me, you know, just a little bit of acupuncture can be helpful, but I know a lot of people who just have experienced, you know, a lot of just really terrible things in their lives that they may, um, the hypnosis I've, I've, you know, learned about is a really good way to, for people to try to work through some of that trauma and their subconscious, because that's where it lives, you know, yeah. it lives in their subconscious and it's affecting the body. Affecting, yeah. yeah. Yep. And that's, it's interesting because I went to a conference last week and they were talking about, um, they were talking about obesity, not so much as a disease, but more of a social determinant of health yeah. um, of people experiencing like, you know, trauma of being labeled as fat and yeah. all this diet culture and that sort of thing. And I'm sure a lot of them have just had trauma in their lives and have used food as a coping mechanism or, but a lot of a lot of my patients who struggle with obesity are people who just have really heightened, you know, activation of their um, of their pituitary glands and the cortisol. Yeah, that cortisol, yeah, that cortisol do it. Yep. Yeah. So I know I don't know how many studies that people have done as far as you know trying to use obesity, um, use work with um, hypnosis with obesity of trying to figure out how to process something. Oh, yeah. Has there been any research on that? Oh, results. Yeah, there's definitely one of the things that. Uh, had a uh, has had a lot of success to the point of becoming a trend is the gastric lap uh, like hypnotic gastric band lap band. Oh. What they found is you can hypnotize someone and take them to the process of um, a, a surgery experience, you mm -hmm. know, and then they're they're able to your subconscious will do the same thing as if you have the band. So oh. that's um, that's been in fashion for a while. Also, we're able to um, decrease food cravings. A lot of times we're able to find, um, for example, if someone, the reason they're putting on weight is because they had something traumatic where they don't want to feel attractive. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes people, if they have like some violation or some sexual trauma, they they want to, um, they feel safer if they make themselves heavier, mm -hmm. you know? And there's other people who, as I mentioned, we think in metaphor, some other people, they put the weight on, they feel more powerful stronger and some people even go so far as to consider it to be an armor hmm. and then you have people who like you said uh the the sugar the eating process they associate it with rituals they associate it with childhood they associate it with safety hmm. at home um 
that's even beyond the chemical aspects of eating. Yeah. yeah. So you look at all these different contexts and each one hypnosis has a way of, of uh, addressing. Anything emotionally related, you can address with hypnosis. That's awesome. Yeah. Because I so one of the things is, you know, like I said at the beginning of this video, is that people market, you know, all these medications. And so that was kind of what the point of the talk was. Um, the, it was called like anti-fat bias and how our society like, you know, doesn't like people who have larger bodies who are considered fat and that sort of thing. And so how we're all just kind of brainwashed that we're, that we're all going to be a size two, which is never going to happen. Um, and, <laughs> but then, you know, but then we market all of these drugs to people like, oh, don't you want to lose weight? Yeah. But then like, even the, the weight loss surgery, um, she, she was talking about the data, which I, which I've seen personally, I've seen people, plenty of people have the, do all of that, have the surgery and then they gain the weight back. Absolutely. And then even now, like with all of these new medicines, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. They usually gain more back. And then with all of these new medicines, you know, like they're all trendy right now and they're selling tons of it to the point where they're sold out. Like people, like my diabetic patients can't even get the diabetes, you know, injections, that sort of thing, because, because they're a bunch of people trying to lose them for weight loss. But she, the, the woman who was uh, speaking, her name is Dr. Erlinger. So she's out in Washington um, and she has a, a, a clinic, which maybe you should go work with her, you know, about this. Um, as far as she was saying that the data for um, the data for even all of those medicines only goes about like one year. So people yeah. may be losing weight for a year, but they're, they're going to gain that weight back. Yeah. Um, so just the way our bodies are. And like I said, you haven't really addressed the reasons why they're overweight. Um, and I'm sure a lot of it, a lot of it, a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why um, sometimes people do have, you know, because people try to say that food addiction isn't a real thing. It's like yeah. people can Absolutely. be addicted to anything. Yeah. Yeah. You can be addicted to anything. You can be addicted to sex. You can be like, why, why not? Why, you know, you got like, phone you know? addiction that no one talks about. Phone addiction. Social, phone addiction and this social media yeah. addiction we don't talk exactly. about. Exactly. Exactly. So you can be addicted to anything. But so it's kind of an interesting thing because she was just kind of laying like, you know, what from what I understood from it was just like it sounded like we just haven't figured out how to effectively address obesity. Because for me as a geriatrician, I know that people who who as they are aging it's harder to age when you have a lot of extra weight on you because it's really hard on your joints and everything so you know obviously we want to make our society more friendly for larger bodies and have different options for um because like i said no, like uh, we're so i'll have an avow renewal this um this summer in june and i was trying to like find wedding dresses because um, I didn't actually talk about this. Congratulations so. on your renewal. Uh, thank you. Yeah. So we're having a 10 year vow renewal and I've been trying to find a wedding dress and I was trying to find something online because I don't really feel like going to a store and trying to do all of this. Um, and um, so I was trying to do, you know, this one website and they had like try it at home. And only the only size they had was a size four. And I'm like, who is a size wow. four in America? Like, so one thing I didn't mention in this talk, because sleep and weight are closely linked. That's what I'm even talking about right now. Um, but when I wasn't sleeping, I actually weighed like when I got when we got married, which was in the height of me, my insomniac years. Um, I probably weighed about 30 pounds less than I weigh right now. And when I look at myself from back then, I looked like stressed and thin, like like stressed thin. And nobody really ever asked me, like, are you okay? Kind of thing. Cause everybody was just like, oh, you look so amazing. You're so yeah. thin and that sort of thing. Yeah. But I'm like, I actually feel much better now because that was one of the things that the, the, the person that she's like, we have so much anti-fat bias. Like if I get, if I told you, I would give you a pill that you would gain 20 pounds, but you would feel better. Would you do it? And I was like, actually, that's already happened to me. Like yeah. I do like I, coming off of the hormones, I feel much better. I'm sleeping. I don't feel as irritable. I don't feel as unfocused. Like I felt like I was all over the place. My career was all over the place and I was all over the place. So I'm like, I've already done that. And, you know, people, people be like, oh, you gain weight. And I'm like, I feel so much better. And I feel great at size 12. I could be like a size six. Yeah. So like, you know, I do understand there's a lot of like fat bias and people have different bodies. Like it's, I know that as a doctor, like I know all my patients, a lot of them, like I do the same thing. Like I eat mostly vegetarian. I exercise often, I sleep and, you know, my size and my size and it's been the same for like, for the past five years since I came up <laughs> you know, so I know there's not really a lot you can really do to change it if, if you, if you're at a functional weight, but I know that some people, some people are not really feeling as functional as they want it to be. Yeah. So sometimes it can be a, you know, but it's just like, well, if gastric bypass doesn't really help that much, 
And with these medicines are eventually after they sell out and people start to gain a way back, it's like, well, what then what do we then what people what will people have? And it sounds like hypnosis can be a good option. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times when the other stuff doesn't work, we we explore the root cause. Right. Know? And yeah. it's not for everybody. <laughs> you want to make sure you're not um you've taken care of any medical conditions, you know, like traditional right. medical conditions. But after you run through all those options, then ultimately you want to explore the root cause. You want to look at um what symbolically the weight means to you. Right, exactly, yeah. Because yeah. it is an interesting thing. Like, I, I just know that food addiction is really a thing because my husband kind of struggles with it, you know? And yeah. so his weight has been up and down, up and down a lot more than mine is. And he'll even say like, yeah, I have a problem with food, you know? <laughs> so so I think that in our culture, everywhere yeah. a date is food, you know? Right. Movie, popcorn and whatever. You know, you go to a skate rink, food. You know, you go to the fair, fair food, you know? <laughs> It's uh, yeah. just everything is ritualized around um, usually unhealthy food, you know. Thanks right, exactly. Go your belly, you know. Right, exactly. And all the holidays, you know, uh, New Year's, all the drinking, all that sort of thing. And like what I just call destructive coping. Like in America, I just feel like we have so much destructive coping and so many destructive, you know, things that don't contribute to our health in any way. And so it's hard because you sometimes it's just like people talk about all of this sort of thing as far as like, you know, I've, obviously, like I said, I know that people have larger bodies and there's not a lot that people can do about it often. You know, if they're feeling okay and functional, like I feel okay and functional. I'm not trying to go back 30 pounds. Like, like I'm not trying to lose that 30 pounds. Like, I'm good. Um, but it's, you know, sometimes the conversations become just weird, I feel like, in my opinion, because people, you know, even this uh, particular doctor, um, she, you know, she was just talking about like trying to work on antibiotics, which I'm like, you can do that. But if you consider obesity to be a social determinant of health, just that's the same thing as high blood pressure and diabetes and all these sort of things. And I know that if I treat those things, I can lower people's risk for different problems, you know? So it's just an interesting conversation because there is recognizing that there are things that we can do preventatively, um, but there's not, but it's just kind of like, there's always going to be some level of people whose brains just think different. You know what I mean? I feel like as doctors, our brains think a certain way. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of workaholics, you know, we're kind of workaholics, anxious people, perfectionist people. Um, and so people's brains work different. So there's always going to be a, people who think different and you're trying to help them live longer. Like for me as a family doctor and geriatrician, like my goal is to help people live longer and be functional, yeah. um, to be, you know, 101 and functioning, you know, that's my goal. And I know that people who are, who are in larger bodies, um, especially, you know, to the point of, feeling like they're not functioning, a lot of them don't make it to 101. Um, so like not even, not even you could not even a discussion of function because a lot of them just do not live to yeah. be 101. Um, so it's just an interesting discussion of trying to balance some of that, like, you know, acceptance with trying to figure out, well, how, how do we actually treat these problems though? Cause it's just like, you can't just be like, oh, we should just accept everybody, you know, be as, you know, as bad as they want to be, but it's just like a lot of times people are are that way because they're dealing with things and nobody's figured out how to help them, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of quiet suffering in our culture. Yeah, for sure. With with all types of things, with insomnia, like I said, because a lot of people don't ask about it. With you know eating issues, with alcoholism, and even with drugs and marijuana. So I know we haven't talked about that yet, but um, for a lot of people, they will use marijuana as a way to sleep to help with sleep as well. So. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? Like, will you talk with your patients about that? Um, I, I usually, again, I, I tell my clients go natural, you know, at one yeah. point I was, um, you know, I, at one point I was more into smoking, um, and dealing with marijuana myself. And once I stopped, I, I became like, I tend to tell my clients to do what I do, you know, cause I'm doing the yeah. best I can. So I tell them like, it's not recommended because, what I found was uh, even when we moved towards the whole CBD universe, you know, uh, what I found was I wasn't really getting good quality restful sleep. Uh, and also I would wake up in the middle of the night. And that was my experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from what I understand, you know, ultimately, especially with uh, the concentration of uh, THC CBD in our current culture, you're, you're, you know, you're crushing your receptors at a certain point. Yeah. And we do have like the amount of THC and um, and concentrated enough CBD and THC nowadays, where you can create psychosis, 
Right. You're, you're, yeah, you're sure. motivating yourself. So um, ultimately, it becomes self-medication. Yeah. Right. You always, you always got to go back to the root cause. If you're going to be drinking yourself to sleep or smoking yourself to sleep or benadrilling yourself to sleep, um, you got to get to the root of it. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's why I always tell my people, I'm like, okay, let's see why you're doing that. Right. Let's see why you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a, it's just an interesting thing because people, a lot of people would consider like, you know, marijuana natural and that sort of thing. It's just like alcohol is definitely natural. And so is cocaine and yeah. One of my one of my colleagues uh, says, you know what else is natural? Syphilis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets down to semantics. It's like, oh, A, ABC is natural. Yeah, it's not good for you. It's not great. Right, not exactly. You know, so we, we you can know. go back and forth and talk philosophies, politics. We can frame anything so that it sounds like there's a good reason for it. Right. You know? But ultimately, self-deception is a weakness. At some point, you got to say to yourself, you know what? I'm doing this because I like it. I'm doing this because I'm addicted. I'm doing this to escape. You know? Yeah. Uh, and then a lot and of times. I need some help. And I need help. Yeah. And then you got to dig deeper and be like, I'm doing this and I'm doing more of it. And honestly, it's not helping. You know, a lot of times we we will continue to do things that don't work, waiting for it to eventually work. Right. You know? Um, and even though it's not working, we're afraid to stop doing it because we assume that if we stop it'll get worse i don't know if i explained that well <laughs> you know like no, i completely understand because you know that's why i talk about this idea of destructive coping like constructive coping and destructive coping like in america i just feel like we have so many examples of construct i mean of destructive coping that a lot of people just never see examples of it and this is more than that's just what they know yeah. it's not so much that they they don't even really think they don't even think about it they Isn't don't even think about know? whether or not it's helping and that's literally like my like so i have a this, my new course is called 14 day coping skills but it's really from like part of my my original book I basically took like a few chapters and just made the course out of that because I felt like that was kind of like the most important part of it was basically just explaining how trauma um, and like the idea of aces um, adverse um, childhood experiences yeah. and how that affects your health and how that's you know a lot of trauma that people are carrying around and a lot a lot of that is affecting their health as we know yeah. Uh, as we've known for years, but a lot of people don't have no idea about that. Like the public doesn't know about that. So, but then I have like a list of different coping mechanisms and it says, is it helpful or is it unhelpful? Yeah. And a lot of people never really process that. Like, are these coping skills that I have? First of all, they didn't even, they don't even realize that they're trying to cope. That's yeah. what they are. Like they don't even realize, but you know, that that's what it is. Um, and a lot of times they're getting into destructive slash unhelpful um coping mechanisms that are you you know just not contributing anything to their lives um in a in a way that is functional you know for me like I said for as a geriatrician that's everything is just really just about functioning um and so there's just so much so much so many things that we do that help make our body dysfunctional like our sleep cycle is dysfunctional our um, stomach our, our gut our gut dysfunction our immune system is dysfunctional um, so there's there's just a lot of different things that people are, like I said, usually just doing what they see other people around them doing. Um, and that's just that's part of why America is dysfunctional, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you watch the the current the way the media conditions us, if you watch any type of show nowadays, you'll every couple scenes someone is pouring a drink. You know, they they drink to celebrate, they drink with dinner, they drink on dates, they drink when things go badly, they drink to help themselves think. And in each scene, it's just um, just cues, just cues and reminders to use, use, use. And now, excuse me, now with the legalization of marijuana, a lot of places, um, you, you get that, you know, urban housewives, you know, suburban housewives, um, all these different populations. It's just, it's been blended in the music and the culture, you right. know? Um, and ultimately, just because it's common doesn't mean it's healthy. Right. We don't all have to, you know, like I think it was what, a couple of years ago, uh, two or three years ago was the first time since they started tracking it that the life expectancy of Americans went down. Yeah. Years Mostly ago. because of the heroin epidemic, opioid epidemic. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like we're, we're, we're always like, you know, chasing that dopamine. That dopamine chase is like really a lot of what America is about. And I often wonder, like, since I started going to acupuncture and working on that, because the thing about acupuncture that's interesting is that I've actually never been able to really meditate. And so I started going to acupuncture. I started going to acupuncture for fertility reasons when I was going through my cancer situation. So I wasn't going for that reason. But I found that it made me more in touch with my feelings. 
Mm-hmm. And it makes you more expressive of your feelings and more expressive of your boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, nope, not doing that. Yep. Um, so it's very interesting in that way of it really puts you back in touch with your, your natural state. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I started meditating. I took a meditation course a few, because basically after that, after I became more in touch with my feelings, mm-hmm. I started drinking more to numb my feelings. Yeah. Yeah. That um, so it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then I recognized I was drinking too much. And so then I got help in a non-traditional way of going to a meditation course and mindfulness course. And that really helped me learn some other coping strategies. And that's kind of what really drove a lot of my business and what I, what I talked about, because I know how important coping strategies really can be um, and constructive coping strategies. Um, And so then, you know, I started meditating and I found that I was able to meditate better. I never really connected the two. Maybe it took me a little while to connect the two. So then I went, when I'm going back to acupuncture now, like I get to this point where I can like float and it feels like it feels like like probably doing mushrooms or something I don't know I've never done mushrooms but you get to this point like where you where your body knows how to release that dopamine and I'm just like you know a lot of people spend tons of money on all of these things on drugs and alcohol and all sort of thing but it's just like I wonder you know like our body has ways to unlock those things and then you and you look at like China and Japan and all these other cultures who have a lot of these other ways to unlock, you know, those aspects of ourselves without it being in a destructive way. Yeah. Yeah. But we want to pill for everything. <laughs> right. right now in a hurry. Right. Oh, yeah. Because right it takes time. Acupuncture, like you have to go a couple of times of, of uh, you have, it's like a commitment. Like, like I, did, I did probably initially when I first started going, I probably did like 20 treatments, you know? But it's just a, it's just an interesting thing about our culture and just what we'll pay money for. Because, you know, a lot of times I don't, I'll, I'll talk about acupuncture my patients a lot, but they don't always go um, because they say, you know, they can't afford it. Insurance has been a lot better, a lot better, a lot of better about covering it. Um, and then having access to the integrated medicine center at my job has been really helpful too. Um, so there's, you know, it's becoming more of a movement, but I'm just like, I wish I could really like do, like they had studies about, I'm like, I wish teenagers could get it. Because, you know, teenagers, their hormones are all, yeah. wonky i'm just like we need to start giving these teenagers some acupuncture Get them. Yeah. Get acupuncture them. meditation for teenagers you know and, and yes. they've done they found it's very helpful we can talk about all this stuff all day i'm sure but so i feel like we've gave, given the people a lot of really good information and different ways yeah. to work on their constructive coping skills get them you know and be, and be more functional in the world um so thank you so much for sharing your expertise and having this conversation with me it's always a pleasure to talk with you and remind your audience that they can reach me for their gift session at Manny, M-A-N-I dot St. Victor, S-A-I-N-T-V-I-C-T-O-R at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And I hope you stay well and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye.